I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. I'm very excited today to be here with Dr. Jessica Louie, PharmD, APHBCCP, is the CEO of Clarity Simplify Align, where she coaches burnout professionals to simplify to spark joy at work and home. She creates work-life harmony through simplifying and decluttering homes, schedules, and mental overload to achieve financial freedom and simplify eco-friendly living for your family. Jessica is a master level certified Marie consultant and coach, and she combines her Marie decluttering techniques with her unique clarify, simplify, align method to gain clarity of purpose, simplify physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual clutter and align work into your life, not the other way around. Jessica hosts the Burnout Doctor podcast weekly helping listeners with burnout, well-being, decluttering, and simplifying. She's also a board-certified critical care pharmacist and associate professor in Los Angeles, California. I'm excited to have Jessica here today. We actually connected at a conference called Biz Chicks, I think a year or so ago in California, and have kept in touch. So thank you for joining today's episode, Jessica. Thank you for having me, Libby. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm thrilled to have you. Love the work that you're doing. And I, I can't wait for the listeners to hear a little bit more about behind the scenes. Is there anything that I left out from the introduction that you want to share with the listeners? No, that, I mean, it was definitely a thorough bio and, you know, I really love helping people find confidence to live intentionally because we have such unique skill sets in this world and everyone can have, you know, apply their unique skill sets to create these really meaningful contributions to the world. So that's why I wake up in the morning and that's my why statement. That's beautiful. And if you could just share a little bit about your own unique story, let us get to know you on a deeper level. Yes. So like you said, I am a board certified critical care pharmacist. And that meant that I trained for nine years to get into that specialty through my bachelor degree, doctor degree, and then two years of residency training. And by the end of that training around 2014, 2015, I started to burn out. And back then, no one was really talking about burnout. So I actually had no idea that I was experiencing burnout. I thought that it was really normal what I was going through. And for those of you who may not be familiar with burnout, I was kind of displaying the the three classic signs where I was really exhausted all the time constantly bringing work home with me. I was, you know, an ICU pharmacist. So I was basically spending more hours in the hospital than I was spending at home. And then I was displaying cynicism or a negative viewpoint because I had relocated from Salt Lake city where I was doing my training back to Los Angeles. And, you know, the way hospital pharmacists were practicing 
was, you know, not to the highest ability and not in the best interest of patient safety. So I developed some, you know, negative viewpoint towards the way people were practicing in Los Angeles after coming from a very progressive program. And then finally, I was displaying the last sign of burnout of a decrease in self-efficacy or a low sense of accomplishment. And that's because I had poured thousands of hours into all these research projects over the last few years, prospective, retrospective studies, and had no publication to show for it. My research efforts were really squashed over and over again by re- journal rejections. And some of you maybe can relate to that because it does take a very long time to get things published in some peer-reviewed journals. And there's a lot of politics behind that publication. So when I was experiencing all of this, I had just taken my job as an assistant professor at a university, and I was really coping with all my stress and burnout by accumulating things. And a lot of times, you know, we, we cope in different ways. I coped by shopping for clothing, mostly I'm shopping for home decor and um, just filling my life with more certifications and letters after my name. And a life event happened, unfortunately, where a family member did pass away very suddenly in my life. And it really showed how life could be very short. I blamed myself for a lot of it. And I decided, you know, after putting my family aside and living far away from them for a long time, I needed to live with intention. So I started to declutter and simplify my life. And that's kind of what led into, you know, what I'm doing today. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. When you said that you took responsibility for the family member. Tell me more about what you mean by that. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of similar to in critical care pharmacy world and things. We do a lot of things with our patients and, you know, I blame myself as someone who is a very high function healthcare professional, not seeing the signs and symptoms of her cancer and being able to help on her ICU critical care journey that, She went through over about six weeks in California and then unfortunately passed away at a young age. So I think that anyone who works in healthcare, when, you know, someone close to you has a diagnosis that, you know, looking back, you may have seen some of the signs and symptoms and you didn't act on them is unfortunate, but it really reminds us of there's a lot of preventive care in this world. And, you know, sometimes we need to take care of ourselves and our family members and make sure that we're addressing some of their needs. So we don't see them in our hospital system either. Yeah, it's, that's really powerful. And when you mentioned the story about burnout and, and your personal reflections, what I'd also like to do is have you share some stories about people you've worked with, maybe just one or two. How have they been able to identify burnout in their lives and, and through the work that you do? Maybe you could chat a little bit about how they've been able to overcome that. Even a small example is fine. Yeah, definitely. I think that, so I see a lot of pharmacists, a lot of healthcare professionals who come to me for burnout help. And usually it's because, you know, some type of life event happened, either something at work happened or something in their personal life. And that's kind of like the breaking straw, kind of similar to my story. And it's unfortunate that we let it go so long uh, to get to that uh, stage. But, you know, sometimes we need to hit rock bottom that I consider I kind of hit rock bottom before I was able to transform and start making changes. So a lot of times, you know, the exhaustion and the negativity gets to people and then they seek help. And for me as their coach, as an accountability partner through that transformation, I really tend to customize, you know, what do they need in terms of a lot of times it means that a client needs clarity in their life of, you know, 
thinking back to why they got into healthcare in the first place, thinking back to how does work fit into their life? Because a lot of times my clients associate with their job title with their like whole being, the whole world of how they define success. And a lot of times, you know, we can be very successful without having some significant job title or place in our life. So that's kind of where we started of gaining clarity of, you know, why we went into this and what does success and happiness mean to us? Because it's very different for every person. I think that over the last couple of years, you know, some people have kind of gotten onto what does society say, or what do my parents say if we're, you know, just transitioning into adulthood right now and gaining clarity of that. So that's usually the biggest transformation of how clear people are, because if you have clarity in your life, then you're able to set up goals and make small changes in your life that are going to have big impacts. The other part of that is when clients come to me and they're really overwhelmed with the amount of things and clutter in their life, either from not really owning their time of like email controls their life, or they feel like they're on 24 seven for their work environment or for someone else in their life and transitioning that to, you know, setting up some simple boundaries um, and clearing some of that clutter, either if it's physical or mental clutter out of their lives. Uh, that's where I really see a lot of transformation because just very overwhelming state to be in. Yeah. And when you talk about burnout, which makes a lot of sense, you know, we have these moments and, and we don't always act on preventative care, right? We wait until there's a death or exhaustion or a panic attack or something where we have that moment that we can reflect on, right? So I appreciate the example that you shared about someone who passed that was close to you. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for you. When it comes to burnout and clutter, can you talk about how those two relate and give us some examples of your work related to burnout and clutter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, well, first start off with how do I view clutter? So Clutter, in my opinion, is really anything that gets in our way of experiencing joy each day. Clutter is anything that really takes away energy and focus from what is most important to us. So that's you know how I kind of view clutter. And there's research out there over the past 30 years basically showing that cluttered spaces really leave us feeling anxious, helpless, and overwhelmed. And that's because humans are really visual people and you know, one third of our processing comes from visual processing versus like smell or sounds. So when we see visually a cluttered space around us, either at our desk or in our home or in our car, that can really start leading on to anxiety and clutter is directly tied to cortisol levels, which are part of our stress levels, especially they've shown it's higher in women than in men. So when we have more cortisol, it can lead to more negative consequences, and it can also lead to uh, more difficulty focusing, basically, because our brain can only process so much information and has so much attention span. So that's kind of how I view how clutter relates to burnout, because it's increasing that cortisol, increasing that stress, and prolonged chronic stress leads to burnout. I love that. I think that's so important, but can we take a moment to distinguish clutter in the sense of physical and digital the relationship yeah. between the two? And, and what do you see in your clients? Because I think we can both take a moment to reflect on how digital clutter is just as important as physical clutter. 
Yes, definitely. So when I talk about clutter, I, I type it into four different types. So the physical one is the most obvious. It's, you know, tangible things that we see. The mental clutter is really affecting our ability to process information. And this is where I usually categorize digital clutter because digital clutter is usually affecting our ability to process a lot of information because we're just on overload or it's a very reactive stage because email is very, you're reacting to something that someone's putting on your plate or social media, you're reacting to something. So I term a lot of digital clutter into our mental overload type of clutter. And then the other two types are emotional of, in terms of affecting our ability to express feelings, especially since, you know, because of technology, it's been great that we have new ways to communicate with one another, but it can be difficult for people to express emotions nowadays if they're not physically seeing someone's face and getting those facial recognition and, and using text messages and things that, you know, affect their ability to be very authentic and honest conversations. So that kind of gets back to how do we bring gratitude into our day and how do we journal out feelings And then finally, spiritual clutter. So kind of affecting our energy levels, ability to be present and in the moment, because that's kind of how I view the four types of clutter. And then, yeah, we do a lot of work usually on the mental side of clutter and digital clutter. So I have a question about, I'm looking, thinking about two ends of the spectrum here. We have the person that let's assume healthcare provider, whether it's a dietitian who's a listener, pharmacist uh, specifically who, who you serve. Now we have this person who's on two ends of the spectrum. This person might be on the prevention side, or they might have experienced some type of a burnout situation like you explained earlier. So my first question is, what do you see more often? Those who are trying to prevent this or those who've experienced some bout of burnout then the second question would be, assuming you see more people who have experienced a death or something significant for burnout, how do we really cultivate a lifestyle and an environment of decreasing clutter before somebody's had an episode that's affected them negatively? That's a great question. So typically when I work with clients, they have experienced some type of burnout or high levels of stress. And now we're going in to help them reset it. I talk about resetting burnout basically because it technically can happen again in our lives, but then now we're into the prevention stage. And then in terms of preventing those types of things, I think it kind of goes back to sometimes we need to go against the status quo of what other people are doing in our lives or what other you know people in society are saying of being busy all the time or multitasking and kind of in the achievement type of stage. And thinking about, you know, how do I want to schedule my time and my ideal lifestyle? So it's really setting up that ideal lifestyle. And I think, Libby, that you talk about this a lot of, you know, you can set up your ideal lifestyle with how you batch out the things that are important in your life. How do you, you know, use email as a communication tool that's not for emergency communication and things like that. So it's basically going to the, let's say if it's digital clutter, we're going to clarify the purpose of it. So we're clarifying like, what is email used for in our life? And we get to define that or what is our phone used for in our life? And we get to define that. So that means, do we want it to, like, let's say it's our phone. Like, do we want it to be like a computer? Like a lot of people use it as. And if we don't want it to be that, then we can define and clarify that purpose and then simplify how we're using it. So simplifying would be like letting go of some of the apps and the programs on your phone or letting go 
of the subscription to different email subscribers because they're not serving you. And it was just a season of your life that it served you. And you can always resubscribe or always re-add on programs on your phone. It's not as black and white as letting go of a physical item, but then we are able to assess and see if it aligns with our workflow and aligns with how we feel now that we've made that change in our life. So that kind of is, you know, prevention steps are kind of just reallocating how we want to live our life and the ideal lifestyle we want to have and then living it out and then seeing how we feel afterwards. Yeah, that's great. It's so important. So are you familiar with the 80-20 kind of principle or law? Uh, yes. so, so what you're explaining reminds me a lot about that. Do you want to, I mean, I can talk a little bit about that, but what are your thoughts? Maybe first define that and then talk about how that applies to clutter and burnout and being mindful. Yeah. So, I mean, basically 20% of our you know productivity or outcomes come from, you know, the most important part of our workday, right? The 20% and the 80% is kind of sometimes the cluttered part of our work life or our life in general, that's not producing a lot of outcomes that are most important to us or define our success, how we define it. So I think that kind of relates back to letting go of a lot of things in our lives and simplifying our lives gets us to that 20% that's most important to us. And I would love to hear if you have anything else to add, love you to that as well. Yeah. So this principle has changed my life really 80-20 concept, which is understanding that not all inputs are the same. So when it comes to, for example, this can be translated in a lot of different aspects, but if we're looking at the apps on our phone, we only really use less than 20% of the apps. And so it's, it's a matter of taking a look at everything that we have going on and eliminating the things that we're not doing or that are not serving us. And that's going to help us live more intentionally and decrease clutter. And, and that's just one of many examples, but if we're looking at 20% of our outputs in our life are going to come from 20% of our efforts. So it's our responsibility as entrepreneurs to identify what is the highest level of outputs that we can do and achieve to get to the maximum, the best results. And if we can identify that and think about it critically, we can improve our lives and decrease burnout and then really create more meaning and eliminate clutter. It's not an easy thing to do, but if we're thinking about this intentionally and your work, Jessica, reminds me of this, I think it's it's a really important thread in our lives and in our common discussions so that we can really be, be happy in it and achieve the meaning that we want to achieve. Otherwise, we're always going to be bogged down with some form of clutter if we're not really thinking critically about the most necessary digital or physical things that we need to have in our lives so that we can eliminate the things that we don't need. Yes. I love how you explain that, Libby. Yeah. And so what other tips do you have? You know, it's easier said than done. A lot of us, I would say, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that many of the listeners are not even aware, right? So we're at different phases here. They're not even aware of all of the clutter they have in their lives. This is a, this is a really high level conversation. We have to think critically about all of the clutter that we have across the board. And it has to be consistent, right? It's not just one day you think about it. It's an ongoing kind of a a constant thing we think about. So how do we become more aware? And then how do we reduce the burnout and or clutter in our lives to achieve the outcome and and live our our best lives with more intentionality? Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree in terms of the first step is awareness of how am I feeling in my environment right now? 
and you can start with where you're sitting, you know, listening to this podcast right now, how do you feel in this environment? And I think the biggest thing is to think about how you feel, not necessarily like how it aesthetically looks, because it's more important how it invokes a feeling for you and what feeling, if you don't like that feeling it invokes, how are we going to get it to the feeling in your ideal lifestyle? So I think that's the first step and and writing that down, you can take, you know, five, 10 minutes to just really critically think about that. And then starting small in terms of if that is right now in your workspace, you know, where you are as an entrepreneur and, you know, private practice right now, start with that area in terms of maybe you want to set aside an hour of your work week to remove everything from your desk, right? Remove everything from it, sort it into categories, and then pick up, let's say this is physical clutter, pick up each item and ask yourself, you know, is this bringing me joy? Does it have, if it, if you don't really understand that question, like, is it, you know, useful in your life? Does it have function in your life? Or is it for future joy, which is like some of our books or textbooks and things? And, you know, answer it honestly to yourself, yes or no. And if it's a yes, you know, keep it and find a permanent location for it on your desk space that is going to serve you because clutter accumulates because we, it's a failure of putting something away into a proper location. Right. So it's just finding that proper location that we want to always return that item to. And then if it's a no, you know, let it go with gratitude because it was a learning experience somehow. No matter if it has a tag on it still, you've never used it. It taught you something through that buying uh, decision and moving forward. Then it's a lifestyle of before we purchase something, before we bring something into our homes, whether that's new or used, we're really intentional with, is this going to serve me and bring me joy? Is it a functional joy? And if it's a no, we need to let it go and give that gratitude state with it. So that's kind of an example of starting small with some kind of physical clutter and some of those concepts can then apply to some of the other types of clutter as well. Yeah. And what do you think people struggle with the most? Is there, I know there's clutter with books, although I would argue that (laughs) it's pretty valuable, but clothes, you know, physical things like in your room or desk, what do people tend to have the hardest time with? So the hardest category is usually sentimental and that technically, if you're following the KonMari method, which is what I usually use for simplifying, it's our last and fifth category. And sentimental is a lot of things that are photos and memory books and things like that. So usually that's the hardest category. And that's why we tackle it last because we've built out like a skill set of decision-making of what brings us joy and, you know, applying that 2080 rule and things of quality over quantity. So that's what we tackle last. And... I think it's also important to remember that clutter didn't accumulate in our lives overnight. And a lot of times we want to let go of clutter overnight, but usually clutter accumulated over several years to potentially decades. And we've moved maybe multiple times during that time frame. So remembering that letting go of that clutter throughout our lives is going to be a journey that might take you several days, weeks, or months. And we want to be intentional in that process. So we don't elicit any regret or guilt because we made decisions that were not, you know, very thoughtful and critical. That's great. And anything else that you want to add? Do you have any kind of particular stories from clients as far as how they've been able to eliminate clutter, any epiphanies they've been able to come to, whether it's in the awareness stage or maybe developing or adopting some habits 
uh, where they've been able to create more meaning from adopting um, some of what you're discussing. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for a lot of people is first determining, you know, why are we bringing in a lot of items into our life through buying or through gifting and, and acknowledging how things come into our lives and, you know, shopping habits. So those are usually, you know, some of the biggest awareness pieces because unfortunately financial stressors are some of the biggest components of burnout because of the financial strain that it puts on our lives in combination with as being a healthcare professional, potentially student loans as well. And then the other thing would be realizing kind of a shift in mindset about gifting. And, you know, we recently had the holiday season and everything, and we have gifting seasons throughout the year for many people. And a lot of times people have a lot of trouble with that season because we automatically usually associate a gift with a physical item and kind of shifting our mindset around gifting is, you know, the gift is not about the physical item. It's about the actual exchanging of some thoughtfulness and kindness to another person. And I really encourage my clients and my community to think about how can we gift experiences in our lives that will create memories in people's lives or more, if you want to have a physical gift in your life, more consumable type of gifts so that we aren't adding clutter to each other's lives. And if the gift is not aligned with your values, that it's okay to let it go because it's not about the physical item that someone gave you. It's about the gesture and the kindness that's associated with it. I I love that. That's so something my mom always taught me to value a gift and be grateful for the gift and not be so obsessed about what the gift is and and just think of it as the act of a gift. And I think Mm -hmm. that focusing on experiences is important. And that must be a huge topic for people, right? Because it crosses over to sentimental and people don't want to let go of stuff because it was a gift, but it really has outstayed its welcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of times with sentimental items, I mean, I've had, I've had so many clients where we've downsized their homes and things. And a lot of times, a lot of sentimental things are large pieces of furniture that just don't align very well, especially living in a Los Angeles area and, you know, taking a photo and writing down the story behind that sentimental item is what's bringing us joy. Usually the storytelling behind it. And then, you know, having a photo of it is not actually sometimes sitting at that huge dining room table that we never use. So it's kind of just shifting that mindset around the storytelling and memories that elicit in people. Yeah. And um, that's very powerful, easier said than done, because again, it's about adopting practice where you're motivated to do that. So how do your clients and people in your community stay motivated? I mean, this is such an important topic, but it's, it's difficult to d- adopt some of these habits. What would you suggest for somebody who's interested, but um, not really sure if they can really stick with it? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, writing down, what's your end goal? How do you want to feel at the end of the day? How do you want to feel at the end of your decluttering process? Because technically there is a time frame associated with it. So with the KonMari method, we end, you know, the five categories in a certain time frame because we only do it once in our life. And then we've developed habits related to it. So approaching it from, we know we're going to declutter and simplify by X date because we want to invite people over. We have a big celebration or something in our life, I think helps so that it's not some lifelong thing that we're continually in a cycle with. So how do you cultivate joy at work? 
I love talking about this topic because no matter what type of work setting you're in, you're able to apply a lot of these concepts. And, you know, when I first start working with people, my number one tip for bringing joy into your day is to think about how are you going to prime yourself for joy? And this kind of goes back to if you've ever been in a classroom setting, uh, your you know teacher usually tells you what's coming up, you know, your objectives for the day and what's coming up in the, the lecture. And this is the kind of the same concept of how do we prime our brains for what's going to come? And I talk about asking yourself three simple questions. And the first question is, what is one thing I can get excited about today? And this is something that we know is going to happen in our day. It's not, you know, related to some external force like the weather or anything. So we're priming our brains to find that joy and excitement. And the next question is, you know, sometimes there are challenges in our life. So if a situation that, what is a situation that might stress me out today and how is my best self going to handle it so that we can address it ahead of time and, you know, prime ourselves to bring our best self to that situation. And the third question is really, how do we spread joy throughout our day? And this is some, you know, thinking about who is someone I could surprise with a note, a gift, a thank you today, whether that be, you know, a short video message or an audio message, or, you know, how can I hug someone today in my household, something that's small that spreads joy to someone else in your life. I think it's really important. So that's how I prime myself for joy. And I, I highly recommend other people do that as well. And it, it can really change your feelings about throughout the day. So that's my uh, number one tip for bringing joy into your day. And then if you would like me to, I can go into a couple other tips as well for cultivating joy. Let's wrap up with a couple more tips. These are great. Yeah. So kind of getting back to uh, the mental load and the mental clutter throughout the day, a lot of people tell me that, you know, they just feel this responsibility of having to remember all the things for their family members or for themselves and their business. So I, one tip is thinking about how can I close the files in my brain because there's too much there. So I recommend if something takes you two minutes or less that you do it right away. So if it means that it will take me two minutes or less to respond to that email, let's do it right now and let it go and archive that email. Then if it's the dishes are sitting in the sink, if it takes two minutes or less to finish the dishes, like let's do it right now or make your bed, you know, little things that add up that you're thinking about, oh, I have to remember to do that. Or I have to remember to write down an ingredient for a meal time to get at the grocery store. Let's just put it in our calendar and then we won't forget about it. And it's there in our calendar of when we're going to do it in our life. So I call it closing the files in our brain. And then thinking about this is a really simple uh, example of when we're using language of I have to do something, let's shift that language into I get to or I choose to do something in our lives. And a lot of times this can be a little difficult if we don't realize we're using that language, like the have to, I have to go to that meeting, I have to go to work today. Um, and a simple shift of I choose to, I get to, and I'm excited about it, or there's some type of joy I'm looking forward to can really prime ourselves for more happiness, more positivity in our life. So those are a couple more tips as well. Those are fantastic. Anything else that you want to wrap us with before we finish our conversation today? I think this is a really important topic and episode, and I'm really glad you were able to, to share your story with us. Thank you, Libby. I just want to remind everyone that if you have felt any feelings of stress or burnout in your life, that you're not alone. 
I know that sometimes it can feel like you're really alone in that journey, but there's a lot of other people who have experienced it. And it's something that, you know, I want people to talk openly about their stories so that everyone can get the help that they need and feel that they're on a journey together with the community. That's great. And where can they find that community? Is that something that you've cultivated online? You want to let us know, remind us where we can find you on social? Yes. So the best place is to listen to the Burnout Doctor podcast with weekly episodes every Thursday. And then if you're interested in more of these topics, you can join us for our free workshop on cultivating joy in your life over at drjessicalouis.com forward slash joy. And I would love to hang out with you on LinkedIn or Instagram. Fantastic. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.